As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. France are in the final eight and have set a high bar as they looked at Morocco and said au revoir. It was a ruthless performance where Eugenie Le Samir starred, so we haven't seen the last of the crisp white shirts of Irve Renard. And Jamaica bow out with both their swabies as Colombia are in the final eight, baby. The South Americans continue to impress us, but how will they fare? against the lionesses. Mm. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend of mine, Rayla Tockwell. Hello, Taylor. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Brian Rayleigh. I am doing well. Uh, I mostly enjoyed today. I was sad for Morocco to go out the way they did. I was mm. sad for Jamaica to go out the way they did. Uh, and I was sad that I had to wake up so early to watch Colombia and Jamaica kick the ball back and forth. Numbers from that game, not great. Numbers from that game, not great. I mean, getting up early to watch uh, players kick a ball back and forth is essentially our life for the past month. This is true. <laughs> if we're That's a very down. good point. <laughs> it is just that is the, that is like the basic uh, thing, and then it's just how well they're kicking the ball back and forth that really differentiates a good game from a bad game. It's just that, and then as the French would say, some accoutrement to go on top. That's all it is, Tater. <laughs> all right, joining us to discuss the accoutrement and much more, Joe Lowry. Bonjour. Bonjour, Ryan. I liked the spoonerisms, the the swapping letters that you did at the start. Was there a reason for that? Did I miss something in the pre-show? I liked it. I'm not criticizing. I'm just curious. Uh, came to me less than a second before I said it, I think, Joe. Love it. <laughs> Love it. That is, I think, where the best stuff comes from, Ryan. It's not your really long, well-thought-out intros. No, it is. Actually, those are, those are better. But I respect your ability to operate on the fly. And for people who uh, put money on Ryan saying accoutrement twice inside of the first two minutes of this episode, congrats, you have, <laughs> that has paid off well. Wow, wow, what are the odds, huh? What are the odds? Graham Ruffin joining us. Hi, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey, how are you? Tired, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> also tired? I mean, I'm feeling good, I think even better because I saw the Columbia Clown today, so it wasn't oh! just a fever dream that Joe had. The Columbia Clown is a real thing, and I'm hoping it will be the stuff of England's nightmares in the quarterfinals, like a big, glittery South American it. 
Okay, because I, I had a question about that, Graham. So it sounds like you did see, really see the clown, which does make me feel better because I was concerned that I just imagined it. There was also like a Colombian jester in this game. I don't yeah. know if you saw that. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not making hang that on, one up either. Yeah. Was okay, not, good. They're different. Good. Are we No, Graham, are we conflating? Because I saw what would, what appeared to be a jester, but also kind of looked like a butterfly. It had jester paint on, but also had like... This was a fever dream. This was a fever dream. This was definitely a fever dream. <laughs> No, I also saw what you're talking about, Ryan. And it was also hitting, you mentioned this in our Slack chat, it had like a giant flag and it was smacking the person over the head in, in front of them in the row, which I'm, I'm sure was a really enjoyable experience for them. Yeah, not so much, not so much. We did see the clown slash jester slash joker slash uh, person annoying the person, people around them, Joe, though. So you're not insane. Well, Thank not on these grounds well, not about, anyway. Yeah, not for that yeah. particular reason, yes. <laughs> Excellent stuff. All right, plenty to get to in this episode. Before we do so, patreon.com slash Show is where the bonus content lives, everybody. And there's some great stuff up there. Do go check it out. Our Discord <laughs> is very active as well. In the meantime, why don't we start off with France 4, Morocco nil, which gave Taylor the sads. We're sorry, Taylor, Morocco's biggest stand. Uh, Eugenie Le Sommer scoring twice in this one as France cruised through. There were three goals in eight first half minutes that effectively killed this one in the first mm. half. Um, Taylor, Morocco had been hoping to become the first African side to win a knockout match at the Women's World Cup. It was not to be. No, it was not, and... I can't say I'm all that surprised and then especially not surprised with the way Morocco started this game and and the way they conceded so readily, so quickly. Uh, shades of the Germany lost their opening uh, loss to Germany in the group stages. Uh, in terms of the way they conceded, the frequency, frequency with which they conceded, but then also the sort of panic, I think, that resulted from that first goal. No one ever plans to go 1-0 down, to state the obvious, but I think... There are teams that can respond better to that. There are teams that have been there before and and don't really let it affect their performance. And I felt like with Morocco, the, the plan must have been do not concede at all in the first half or <laughs> something. Because from that point on, from the first goal, it's panicky clearances, it's misplaced passes, it is defensive mistakes, it's failures to track. All of that felt like they just switched off and were sort of overwhelmed by the moment. The final stats in the, on this game are ridiculously telling. Uh, possession in favor of France, 75 to 25. Shots, 15 to 1 for France. France completed over 500 passes. Morocco completed just over 100. Um, and big chances, 5 to 0 in favor of France, not surprisingly. So France, pretty completely and comprehensively dominant in this game. Uh, and I think part of that is the way Morocco set out. I don't think the 4-4-2 that they had uh, worked very well. It felt like they were way too spread, way too often, and France were more than happy to capitalize. Yeah, there was nothing about this Morocco game plan that worked, <laughs> to be frank. No. the As you say, Taylor, surely the plan for the first half was, let's keep it tight, let's be in the game at halftime, and effectively this match was over as soon as France scored their third goal. In the 23rd minute, the other part of their game plan that I, I well, I presume this was part of their game plan, was to restrict France in the wide areas, given what we'd seen in that Germany game, where Germany did so much damage to to Morocco um, by just continually crossing into the box. And Morocco did not do that in, in that match either. The wide areas were always going to be a key part of, of, the, of this match. And Morocco were once again, once again, excuse me, weak at defending those crosses into the area. That was apparent in the Germany game, as I say, and it was apparent in the first two goals in this game, where the first goal comes from 
France overloading the left side. Good combination play between Dali and 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 um, Kashrawi, excuse me, who I thought was excellent in in this match and has been excellent in the tournament in general. And then the second goal comes from a, a ball down the the right side, and then another cross goes into the box. And between this match and the Germany match, Morocco's defending in those moments seemed to be very ball orientated. I think you saw that in the first two goals where they don't track runners. Their body shape is kind of all wrong in those moments they're facing the goal they're not aware they're not nimble and when you get an opposition team putting players into area as France did in in, in, in this match that is a problem and, I, and just to finally put a ribbon on my kind of thoughts on on, on Morocco the, my general thoughts they have been a credit to this World Cup and I don't want to minimise that at all they won two matches in the group stage because of the way that they set up the way that they play this kind of um, open 4-4-2 and, and use this aggressive approach um, that allowed them to get results against Korea and Colombia where they do have comparable talent to those teams but it has also contributed to the problems that they faced against higher, higher calibre opponents yeah. like Germany and France um, and I think one of the biggest differences between this World Cup and past World Cups is that, and we've spoken about the gap between the top teams and the rest closing and there has been a greater pragmatism from some of the the kind of underdogs you look at some of the teams that have made a breakthrough Jamaica Colombia Nigeria most of them have been sort of defense minded first and I think Morocco while at times like we saw in the Colombia game them playing with a pretty solid defensive foundation but in the games where they're punching upwards we just haven't seen that really at all from them yeah, Joe, it seemed to me like this is one of the most evident game games in this tournament where the, the talent gap was there, where there was superior quality on one side to the other, uh, which is which is fair enough given the status of their respective yeah. programs. It, 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 what I wonder though, Joe, is did we learn much about France in this game? I don't think so. Maybe there are some of the intricacies of their approach tactically about how they want to go out there and, and play games in terms of like positioning stuff, right? We know that France want to go out there and, and want to control a lot of how these games are played. And they did that. Obviously, Taylor, you read off some of the stats earlier that show that. But I mean, we didn't learn anything about their ability to win this competition, right? They're still, they should still be in exactly the same place in all of our minds now as they were 12 hours ago, right? 24 hours ago, however long it's been since this game finished. Morocco, unfortunately for them, were just outclassed in this game. Like France was first to what felt like every ball in midfield. Like they just had that extra step every single time, which is which is a player skill thing, right? It's an understanding of space. It's an understanding of timing. And then it's athleticism. And France have all of those things in, in larger quantities than Morocco. Certainly, they were first to all those balls in midfield. And then they just had the talent advantage. My, my biggest issue with Morocco's setup in this game, ultimately, I don't think there was anything they were going to be able to do to win this game. So I, I want to be cognizant of that. But my issue with their 4-4-2 block that they've used throughout this competition was in this game in particular... When you see Diani and Le Sommer as a front two, yes, with Le Sommer dropping a little bit deeper and, and at times popping up like a number 10, but when you see those players as a front two and you recognize, oh no, we're about to be 2v2 in the back with our two center backs against those two forwards, two world-class forwards against our center backs that are, let's be honest, not world-class, that's a problem. Like that's the moment when you realize we should be in a back five. We need an extra player in the middle of the back line. We need to have a one player advantage in that space because we can't win these individual battles 1v1. And we saw those issues over and over and over again for Morocco in this game. You can see it in the third goal. It's Leysamere's goal in the 23rd minute. It's France in possession. They play a long ball into Diani, who is with Leysamere in a 2v2 against Morocco's two center backs. And it's not a clean bit of play from France. Diani doesn't initially get to the ball, but eventually 
she pressures Morocco, and, and Morocco make a, a massive mistake inside their own box. Lissamere pops up, intercepts the ball, and scores, and it's 3-0, and this game was even more over than it was before. It was just too easy for France in this game. And again, that was probably always going to be the case. Apologies to Morocco. This is a great run. I'm not trying to discredit that. But the gap was so large that really, you know, it's going to be the quarterfinals where we start to feel out this France team in the knockout stages. Two things for me, which may end up being two very lengthy things. The first, uh, I totally agree with Joe that either we could have seen a back five or a back three change for Morocco or we could have just seen them tighten up those lines. I compare it to like Atletico Madrid, the way the, the two banks of four and a four four two can be really, really tight. Uh, so there's very little space in between. And that can also deprive attackers of any time and space. And it can make them drop even deeper to try to find some of the ball. In this game, those two, two banks of four were routinely like 15 yards apart. And so that direct ball you talked about, Joe, it's there for the third goal. It's there for the second goal as well. And it's just Lesamer and Gianni, uh, as well as many other French players, moving into that space and receiving it into feet and then playing quickly through the rest of the Moroccan defense. Their defensive game plan did not make sense to me. That said, the second thing, I do feel like I saw one thing from France consistently in this game that does sort of set them apart. With the caveat that I watched this one after Colombia, Jamaica, which didn't have a ton of like risky passing, but I saw France routinely going for passes that even if they didn't come off and occasionally left them vulnerable to counterattack, were still passes that other teams at this tournament, I feel like, are not attempting. They're going for sort of Risky switches of play, risky through balls, uh, trying to split two defenders and playing in defeat. And I think France are just more willing to play quickly and take risks and sort of roll the dice and see what develops from the attacks. And that could leave them very vulnerable to counterattacks and better opposition. But at the same time, it felt to me like part of the reason why this game went so so one-sided the way it did was that France just kept taking the game to Morocco. Morocco let them, certainly, but then also France, I think, created a lot of their own luck. So I guess Billy Zane from Titanic approves of this performance. Thanks, Billy Zane. That's my favorite <laughs> quote from Zoolander. That's all I got. Uh, Morocco's uh, campaign here was bookended by a 6-0 loss to Germany and a 4-0 loss to France. But as we said, uh, n- no shame here. A-, a very good standing from the Moroccans in this tournament. Meanwhile, France on Saturday will face Australia. We're going to preview the quarterfinals in a little bit. But uh, Graham, that's quite a tasty matchup, is it not? Yeah, it is indeed. We spoke about Australia yesterday. I think I'm a little bit higher on, on Australia than maybe um, Taylor and Joe are, but it feels like they are growing into the tournament. That it, it's, it's peculiar that you, you'll get a quarterfinal matchup between two teams that we feel haven't really been tested so far in the tournament. I totally agree with Joe. France's tournament has been strange so far where... By, if you look at the Jamaica game, in hindsight, I kind of write that one off as Renard figuring some things out. Um, they had some injuries, of course, before the tournament. Amandine and Henri ruling, getting ruled out through injury and just two weeks before the tournament. And you have Katoto out and you have, who's the other one, Cascarino out as well. So that Jamaica game I'm now looking at as Renard um, figuring some things out. Then you have the, the good performance against Brazil. Then you have the game against Panama where he rests essentially his whole, out, whole or half of his outfield team. And then you have this match which is essentially over after 23 minutes. So France have kind of strangely coasted through this tournament so far without seeing their best um, without producing their best football and I would say something similar about Australia I mentioned yesterday that maybe Australia are high in my mind because of the poor quality of teams that they have faced so far so I always think it's fun when you have a host nation coming up against one of the favourites and that's what we'll have in that quarterfinal 
One thing that I'll be keeping an eye on is who starts at center back for France. Uh, the commentators over here in the U.S. pointed out that this is their fourth game and their fourth different center back pairing of the tournament. Uh, Lacroix, I believe, picks up an injury or not able to play in this game. So it's Wendy Renard and it's Elisa de Almeida. And de Almeida was a player I wasn't as familiar with. I didn't watch the Panama game particularly close. Uh, and I ended up paying a lot of attention to her distribution and not in a good way. She was playing as a left center back. She is very right footed. Uh, and the first pass of the game, I think inside the first minute, France kick off. It goes back to her. She tries to play a ball down the line with her right foot and plays it straight out of bounds. Uh, the next time she gets on the ball, she tries to play an interior pass with her left foot and it goes straight to a Moroccan player. And after France go one nil up, she gets on the ball again, tries to play a, a switch out wide and plays it straight to a Moroccan player. And that launches a 3v3 counter, which Morocco are a little too slow to capitalize upon. Uh, so she did have good moments. I don't just want to spotlight the negative. The Almeida also had some good carries. She's involved. I think it's her carry that starts the uh, kind of movement that leads to the first goal. But if she is in that back line, especially on the left side, and she has to play the ball with her left foot or isn't able to play with her right foot, a team that forces her onto that left is going to have success because she is going to cough the ball up and make mistakes. So that center back pairing or who that center back pairing is in the next round will be very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I like the center back talk because I always think center backs go underloved. And so I'm here for that. I also think uh, some of the same themes from this game with France's front two against Morocco's two center backs could apply for both sides in this uh, quarterfinal match. I know we're doing the preview later, but I guess we're doing it now, honestly. So hmm. I think those two matchups on each end, right? 2v2 and 2v2, that's the general idea. If if both teams continue with the patterns we've seen from them so far at this competition, we don't know who's going to start up top for Australia because Sam Kerr is still a big old question mark. But regardless, we could be looking at a lot of 1v1 matchups, striker versus center back and striker versus center back on both sides. And I think that could make this match very, very interesting, at least for large stretches. Yes, I agree, Joe, but I think um, Australia will be more coherent in their defensive they game will. plan than Morocco yes. were in this yes. game. Did anyone catch the free kick in the 77th minute where Morocco were playing an absurdly high line for no apparent reason? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a, yeah so there's a free kick in the 77th minute. The Morocco defensive line is about 10 yards from where the free kick is taken and then 35 yards of space in behind. And France kind of just like flipped a ball out wide. They get a cross in. Gianni has a really good shot from it. I just I just didn't get it. I don't know what that was about. Sorry was you hate innovation, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Even the uh, the BBC commentators were pretty flummoxed by that one as well, I seem yeah. to recall. Uh, they were yeah. like 4-0 down at the time as well. Yeah. It, was, it was just baffling. <laughs> Was indeed. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at Colombia's victory over Jamaica back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. 
catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show's Women's World Cup Daily goes now to the Melbourne Rectangular Stadium for the final time, Joe. The last <gasps> time we're in the recce. Can you no. believe it? Oh, will, so will we still have other shapes? I haven't learned the names of the stadiums yet. Do we have like a, a an oval or like a rhombus? What's what's the detail? Yeah, on we'll be in the Brisbane dodecahedron <laughs> before you know it. Good. Joe, don't worry. Thank about goodness. It. Um, but this one, the last one in Melbourne, Columbia won Jamaica nil. Captain Catalina Usme with the winner in this one. Very nice takedown from a long ball switch for the goal here. A pretty hard-fought victory we'll call this jamaica's first goal conceded in the tournament as well i love um, it when people use hard fault i use it myself but it basically <laughs> oh, yeah. means kind of rough a little bit yeah. rubbish yeah, at <laughs> halftime it was it's been so so competitive this game is yeah. what the uh the commentators went with at, at, at halftime <laughs> i would say that's a very generous interpretation well, of this game it, it is, right? And and Ryan, I'm not even going to give you a chance to tee it up because you were going to tee it up and somebody was going to say what I'm about to say. It's what we expected, right? These two teams, this is what we've seen from them so far, this competition. It's a lot of defending deep. Yes, they'll both extend and press a little bit in moments, but it's in general, these two teams wanting to be the antagonist rather than the protagonist. They'd rather come up against a team that wants to keep the ball a little bit where they can catch them out, win the ball and attack quickly in transition. And, and when you pair both of those two teams against each other, it's kind of like that. Is that a is that gift from the Simpsons that always goes around on Twitter where they're kicking the soccer ball back and forth? What yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like that, right? Where it's like, well, somebody somebody do something with this ball. And neither of these teams <laughs> that really, implies that one of these teams completed passes, Joe. Well, yeah, that's the thing, and, and that's my point. Is neither team really wants to do that, and, and yeah. more than that, is capable of doing much with the ball. Columbia had the talent edge coming into this game. It's not just Myra Ramirez up top for them, although she is the, the biggest part of this team. It's Linda Caicedo on one side, it's Uzme on the other side. And I thought both of those players, given the context of the game where it was always going to be ugly, had a fairly good match. But the goal, it, it comes from a mistake in my mind more than anything else. It's, it's a really difficult bit of defending from Jamaica inside the box and that they make it look difficult yeah. like it's it's Blackwood completely whiffing on the header or not nailing the the first positioning it's all of those things that ends up being the difference maker in a game that that was not an especially memorable one unless you're a Columbia fan the clown the jester anybody else uh in which case party on so I have to give credit to Emma Hayes for the goal not because she scored it she had no part to play in scoring the goal but she absolutely called how Columbia could break through in this match, she was the UK co-commentator. And at the end of the first half, she was talking about how the space was there to be exploited on the right side. She wanted Arias to, to push higher. And she made the point that Colombia should attempt quick switches over to that side. Now, it wasn't Arias who scored. And you're right, Joe, it's not the best moment of defending from Jamaica. But nonetheless, the attempt was there. And it was exactly that scenario within a few minutes of the second half kicking off where it's a throw in, it's laid back, Guzman instantly switches it over to Uzme. The Jamaica defence is caught very, very narrow and it is an excellent first touch and a finish to, to make the most of the mistake. So I guess Colombia deserved credit for spotting that possible route and executing it because they, they attempted three switches in the first seven minutes of the second half as well. So it was definitely a kind of deliberate ploy from them. I think also a very timely ball because watching it back, uh, Blackwood, the Jamaica left back, is maybe three yards deeper than the rest of the back line. And it's her realizing, oh, I'm deeper. I need to step. And she takes a step forward as the cross is hit or as that switch is hit. And so she's basically 
trying to pay attention to the ball, her runner, and that she is not uh, keeping the offside line tight the way she needs to. So she steps and then has to backpedal to try to make a play on the ball. And that's a big reason why I think she's not able to do so. I also want to give massive credit to Catalina Usme. Uh, I thought she was really interesting in this game. From what I saw, she is up top by herself in the opening 10 to 15 minutes. And then I think Columbia recognizing that it's going to be a physical back and forth with lots of long balls, uh, move her out wide. They move my Ramirez into a more central attacking position. But Usme has a couple different moments, not just this one, where she is able to bring down the ball from big switches or big direct balls like kills them dead with her foot and then also sets herself up to play really good crosses in really good passes and obviously sets herself up to take the goal really cleanly, especially that she's still under pressure. I thought all the, all the different Colombian attackers have been impressive at different points in this tournament. I thought Linda Caseta was still quite good in this one, uh, but Catalina Usme, this felt to me like a very, she was the kind of a little bit above the rest performer on the day for me. Um, for the record, by the way, the uh, synonyms I had for hard fought in my intro were competitive, mm. gritty, cagey. Cagey's one I like to use in that <laughs> circumstance as well, uh, which can How be How far more... down the list was tactical? That's always the most frustrating one. It's a tactical <laughs> yeah. battle. In, but in, in caginess, in a physical game, there can be moments that I still appreciate because they show mm. how clever players can be and that can be the way they go into challenges the way they draw fouls there's one i forget the minute i have it written down but it's it's another sort of long hopeful ball over the top uh from colombia and linda caicedo is is chasing it down uh the jamaican defender has her beat for position and caicedo knows she's going to go for the back pass back to the goalkeeper and so right as the player's about to play the pass caicedo just touches her on the back it's not a shove it's not anything other than hey i'm right here and and in that moment the defender i think panics and passes the ball 10 yards away from where she meant to straight out of bounds for a corner and just little moments where you have the awareness to know how to put the player off or put your opponent off, I think can be the difference makers. Nothing comes of it. They don't score from the corner, but it's just, I guess, little moments in the physicality that I then uh, appreciated. Brian, you're looking forward to Linda Caicedo against England because I wouldn't be, (laughs) I feel like that. We've talked, I mentioned yesterday about Lucy Bronze not having a great tournament and space being in behind to exploit. I feel like Linda Caicedo might be the player to exploit that space. Yeah, I mean, the, there's been a, a a team this week that has exploited the space behind uh, England's backline and fullback, so I can't imagine how that's going to go, Graham. I'm I'm not super excited about the prospect. Is my short answer there? I would say yeah. she's, I, she's I think, great talent. I, I not to pile on Ryan here, although Graham is justified to do so. Uh, I think he's a bit of a build up um, to, to really get to exploit. I think I think this is a bad matchup for England. I said yesterday that I think they'll still have the edge, regardless of who came out of this game, Jamaica or Colombia. But Colombia is the better team. They're the more talented team relative to Jamaica. Jamaica, you know, in this game, they had Bunny Shaw doing a lot of running and trying to find her in transition, but they don't have much joy around her. And Colombia, they do have a little bit more to actually play with. There's There was an example in the 24th minute that I thought showed this fairly well. It's Colombia trying to play long to Myra Ramirez, and she tries then to combine with Caicedo. Like, she has somebody to play with, then Jamaica win the ball because that's what happened with both teams in the majority of this game. The, the passes didn't come off. Jamaica win the ball. They immediately try to play long to Bunny Shaw, and nothing really comes of that either. It was it was more of a one-woman show for Jamaica than it was for Colombia. So I think England have the, the harder team coming out of this game. And the matchup, like Colombia don't really want to have the ball. They're, they're going to try and congest things 
and then find their difference makers in the attack. And it's it's a little scary for anybody coming up against them right now. They're vulnerable in lots of different ways, but in Ramirez, in Uzme, in Caicedo, they do have players that can beat you. And England look like a team that can be beaten right now. So shut up, Joe. Um, Taylor, <laughs> going to uh, talk about Jamaica. Yeah. Uh, um, this, this has also been a great story, holding France, hold, holding Brazil, keeping Brazil out of the knockout stages, doing so on extraordinarily limited funds and, and with uh, raising funds for themselves to get out there. But I don't know if I'm reassessing my opinion of them after this game because of the lack of positivity here, because of the lack of creativity. Not too much fun was had uh, watching them play here. Has, it, has, this, has this affected the way you, you view their tournament at all? No, it's, a, it's about what I expected from them in this game. I thought they would be pretty defensive. I thought they would try to find Bunny Shaw. I think uh, a number of our predictions focused on Bunny Shaw, including Graham's, I think, kind of was the best at explaining how this game might go of her just trying to create something with no one around her and and having to do that. I think, Graham, you almost get your point because she almost does that a few different times. Uh, And I know you maybe are shooting yourself in the foot in that one for making it about the distance around her. But like, I think in the opening 10 minutes, she has one where she takes on four players and then gets fouled. I'm not sure if the foul is given, but she did so much work in this one, which was to her credit, to Jamaica's credit. But Ryan, to your point, I did feel like once Columbia were one nil up, it was never seemed likely to me that Jamaica were going to get one back because when you are trying to play through that one main attacker and you have other players who can certainly attack, I thought Carter was fine. I thought Jody Brown did well, obviously doing better when she moved out wide when Primus came on at halftime. But it still just, it never felt like they were going to be able to put under Columbia, Columbia under the sustained pressure you need to generate opportunities that start to let you feel like you have some momentum. It always felt like they were trying to kind of hit on the break, go long, find a way for Bunny Shaw to make something happen. And if you're Columbia, you can then just foul her, mark her, hassle her out of the game. And it really limits what Jamaica were able to do. Still an impressive performance from them, though I think they only end up scoring one goal in this whole tournament. Uh, But I think for them to get where they did with the lack of funding and lack of support uh, boosts their performance overall just a little bit for me. Yeah, there was the the Drew Spence chance in the 87th minute when she makes Mm -hmm. a a late run into the box and and, and heads wide. There needed to be more of those moments earlier in the match because, as you say, Taylor, anytime they had a sniff of, of an opportunity, it felt like it came from some form of hero ball um, they did hit the post we should mention and, and uh, not long after the, the goal being struck a set piece caused a bit of chaos Colombian goalkeeper gets caught underneath the ball hits off the, the post so I guess that was their, their best opportunity then there was the Spence chance but yes I agree Taylor it felt like they needed to commit more bodies forward and if they're back and I hope they are back at the, at the next World Cup in 2027 that needs to be the next progression for them clearly they have established a platform of qualifying for these tournaments having been at the last two they now need to figure out a way to impose themselves on better teams without basically just asking Bunny Shaw to beat the entire defence on their own one more beat uh, from me on Colombia in this game I think you guys tied a nice little bow on Jamaica and I agree with all that Colombia also a team that has faced more obstacles than has enjoyed assistance from their federation. And well Melissa said. Ortiz well has said, talked yeah. about that a lot. Former Columbia national team player now in the broadcast space. Uh, she's, she's you know, kind of the English speaking authority on a lot of those things at this point for Columbia because she's experienced them. And so I, I wanted to take a second to applaud what this particular Colombian team has accomplished. If you told me coming into this competition that they would have finished 
that they, that they would have qualified, excuse me, for the, the quarterfinals, I, I would not have believed you. And so I am very impressed with what they brought to the table, even doing it in a, a mucky kind of pragmatic way. That's at times the right way to play. Two other little quick things that I found on the internet about this Columbia team. Anecdotes specifically from this game. First of all, there's a video of Catalina Uzme's family celebrating her goal against Jamaica. I, it looks like they're at home and watching on TV, and it's awesome. Like, it, it's so cool. Go look it up. It'll make you smile, and we need those moments in life. And then the other thing is apparently a fan ran onto the pitch, a, a young Columbia fan. Um, this this young boy, it looks like, ran out onto the field to take a selfie with Myra Ramirez after Columbia had gone through, and the security are sort of, you know, wanting to intervene, and Ramirez stops them and, and takes a selfie, smiling, everybody's happy, and then the kid just looks so, so happy. Go, Just go look these things up, they'll make you smile. Columbia, congrats to you, soccer's cool. I hope yeah. the clown or the jester or both invade the pitch against England to get a yeah. selfie with Myra Ramirez, that's what I want to see. They might not get such gentle treatment from the stewards, I would suggest, Graham, if they did. Uh, but well, that, that jester's got that giant flag, so <laughs> come at me. If we, if, we see, if we see any Colombian players being beckoned over to a sewer, then we know that the clown has found a way to infiltrate. Uh, but I would say don't go near that sewer. Oh, good stuff. Very well said there, Joe, on the Columbia stuff. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look back a little bit at the round of 16. We're going to look ahead to the quarterfinal matchups. And we're going to give our very specific predictions. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. So, the round of 16 has a neat little bow on it now, just to remind you of the uh, fixtures we have seen. Switzerland 1, Spain 5. We saw the Netherlands get a 2-0 win over South Africa. Japan in their beautiful kits with that 3-1 win over Norway. Sweden, USA. Australia's 2-0 win over Denmark. France's 4-0 win over Morocco we saw today. Colombia's 1-0 win over Jamaica we saw today. And England scraping through just about on penalties against Nigeria. Oh, Graham with the thumbs down. Do do you hate Britain? Is that what it is? Do you hate Britain, Graham? (laughs) Oh, don't don't ask me to <laughs> deconstruct that question and articulate my thoughts on that. Okay, let's see about what you like, Graham. What do you have a favourite game that we saw in the round of sixteen? <sighs> to be honest, the the round of sixteen I didn't think was the most captivating. I thought the the latter the last round of fixtures in the group stage were were far more compelling. Um, if I had to pick a match, I guess like. Oh, I don't know. This is a bit of a struggle, actually. Japan, Norway, I guess. It felt like Norway at least had the quality and the talent to make a fight of that. I'm not really sure if they did in the end. um, It was a good round for the favourites. So the quarterfinals will be made up by seven of the eight group winners, (laughs) with Spain being... Hold on, Joe. um, With with seven of the eight group winners um, going through to the quarterfinals, Spain being the only exception. The US, of course, finishing second in in, in their group. So that stat still uh, still holds up. Sweden were the only underdog 
to win if you're looking at the bookmaker odds they were the only underdog to win their last 16 match and even then I don't think any of us were really surprised by that outcome so certainly in the group stage it was it was a tournament of shocks I don't think that extended to the round of 16. Yeah I would agree with that and I would say that in as much as we've praised this tournament for the golf and quality not being as bad as we thought it might be or I thought it might be. Uh, it does feel like this is the sort of round where that difference became slightly more clear because I think a lot of the teams that we expected to try to defend did exactly that. And a lot of the teams that we thought maybe would try to attack a little bit more did not looking in your direction, Switzerland. But the Swiss going out to Spain, that felt about right. Uh, the Dutch getting past South Africa, again, like a, a team sort of sitting deep, not really... Uh, being able to attack and then the Dutch scoring inside of what, like 12 seconds, uh, probably playing a role there. Denmark, Morocco, Nigeria, Jamaica, maybe unfair to put the Danes in there, but I think it was a lot of teams sort of feeling overmatched uh, and defending. And so though I'm sad that we don't have as many underdogs involved anymore, I also feel like we're going to get better games and we have what the beaten finalist of the last uh, women's world cup. We have Japan who have won one lost a final. Uh, We have France who, I think maybe this could be their moment. We have England, who are the Euro champions. Like I think there's a lot of, of quality uh, still here, and I think we're going to get some really good games. So, though I, I agree with Graham, I don't think the round of 16 was so memorable. I think it has set up what could be a very memorable series of quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think- upsets, sorry, Ryan, upsets are fun, but I think back to the Qatar World Cup where, look, Morocco were one of the best storylines of that tournament, make a run, making a run to the semifinal. But I also remember being quite conflicted in my thoughts where it was like, oh, this could have been Spain-France in the Mm -hmm. semifinals and instead we got Morocco-France and there was a bit of a mismatch. So yes, the storylines of upsets are good, but I think from a football point of view, I agree when you have the big big dogs meeting each other and you have those big marquee matchups, then it really kind of feels like a big tournament and I'm looking forward to that in the latter rounds of, of, of this World Cup. Okay, so we've learned round of 16, very predictable uh, so far. Uh, maybe not so in the quarterfinals, as you say, Graham. The uh, competition gets a little stiffer at this stage. Quarterfinals start on Thursday evening, 9pm Eastern. We see Spain taking on the Netherlands in Wellington. Fly to Concords. Uh, Japan versus Sweden is on Friday morning at 3.30am Eastern. Her boy. Uh, Australia taking on France in Brizzy. That's Brisbane to you, Joe. Saturday at 3 a.m. Eastern. And the big one, England versus Columbia from Sydney, from the Olympic Stadium uh, on Saturday at 6.30 a.m. Eastern. Set your alarms accordingly, listener. I'll tell you what, Joe, uh, to to, to go on that England-Columbia game, which you touched on earlier, one thing I am concerned about, not not just Linda Casado, but uh, if you noticed in the Columbia-Jamaica game, the Colombian fans were very vocal, whether they were dressed as clowns or uh, otherwise. Uh, and every time Jamaica had the ball, they were booing quite a lot. And this is in the Sydney State. This is the Olympic Stadium. You can get 80,000 people in there. England will be well supported, but so will Colombia. And I think those fans are going to make it uh, a significant atmosphere for the Colombians, uh, Joe. I am so incredibly down for the X Factor coming into this game to be the Colombian clown. I can't even express to you how much <laughs> joy that actually brings me. I really, really like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've kind of given my my whole bit on the england Columbia game. I'm generally not a person that puts a lot of stock in atmosphere or in you know fan support or things like that. I think that is a factor, but I think it's pretty far down on the list, except potentially when the clown is involved. So I will give <laughs> I will give some wiggle room on this to be wrong and to go against my usual principles. This is not this england Columbia game is not one of the games I'm most looking forward to in this round. Frankly, both are on the other side of the bracket. 
because that side of the bracket is fun and this side is significantly less fun. Um, but I, I am stoked for Spain, Netherlands in particular, and Japan, Sweden, to see if Japan can go all the way because their run has been awesome so far and they are lovely to watch. They'll be in control of the ball against Sweden. They'll do lots of fun stuff in that 3-4-3 shape. I think both of the better games in the quarterfinals will be on that other side of the bracket. I do think Colombia supporters should maybe just try to see if there are any phobias in the England team. Like we know people are afraid of clowns. Maybe somebody dresses up as a, as a giant spider and we see if you can truly uh, get the fear into England. Ryan, if it makes you feel any better, I would say that when Lauren James gets the, the red card, when VAR gives her the red card, there is a resounding cheer from the stadium when that happens. I'm pretty sure England were not the more supported of the two teams in their game against Nigeria. Yeah. They come through England that one relatively okay. Australia, never. I would have never <laughs> have guessed that. <laughs> so I, I think they already have uh, experience at this tournament of getting through an elimination game where they are not the well-supported team, put it that way. Wow. Yeah, and the context there, Graham, by the way, of course, is the Ashes, the cricket, which is just finished, uh, which ended in a draw, I believe. Uh, uh, for, for context there, Taylor, the Ashes is a cricket tournament where they play for 25 days yeah. and it ended in a draw. Just to cool, be clear, huh? you're saying that's the context to the England-Australia rivalry. The, the, this <laughs> one, yeah, actually, there's, 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 just there's historical context as well. That <laughs> you go a, back a little bit. It goes back a little bit more than this summer, I would say. But that is oh, the most it? recent context. It, there's, it, it, it got very testy, this test match, shall we say. Uh, it, this particular instance, uh, if you want to get into cricket, which I don't particularly at this no, juncture. None of us do. No, no let's move I'm on. Already regretting this. <laughs> Graham, what, what, what quarterfinal are you looking forward to the most? I don't know why, but Australia France feels like I think I've already mentioned. Like I, I like when a host nation does well at a tournament. A tournament feels more alive when a when a host nation is is doing well. And if I had to pick an upset, in fact, I could see two upsets in this quarterfinal. So I think that the the first side of the bracket, Spain, Netherlands, Japan, Sweden, I think will probably go to form and we'll have another rematch between Spain and Japan. That's this that side of the bracket, right? I'm reading yep, that correctly. Yep. Yeah, so I think we'll have a, a rematch between Spain and Japan in the semi-finals. Um, Australia, I think, are growing into the tournament. I think it'll be an interesting game. My only concern about Australia is them getting outnumbered in midfield with their their four. Um, what is it? They play four four one one, I guess. Um, but France kind of play a similar system. So I think maybe the, the the impact of that might be mitigated. Other, it's, it's maybe a potentially quite a good matchup for Australia. Actually, um, I would be concerned about the amount of space that Panier, Panier Harder, easy for me to say, got in the, in the quarterfinals and France had even better players or more good players to make the the most of that space. But yeah, I, I, I think upset alert, upset um, Claxon on the Australia-France game and the England-Columbia game, I think those ones will be interesting. They will indeed. Taylor, what are your thoughts on the quarterfinals? What are you most looking forward to? I think we kind of agreed that other side of the bracket with Spain, Netherlands and Japan, Sweden is meatier. Is that fair to say? It is. Uh, I would say one thing about Australia, France, before moving to that other side of the bracket. I am interested in if Sam Kerr starts and if she does, whether or not that is a smart thing, because we haven't seen her uh, start any game at this competition. She plays the final few minutes. And as I mentioned yesterday, looked pretty rusty when she did. Australia have sort of found a form that works, a formation and an approach that works. I think it obviously works with uh, with Sam Kerr being in there. But I think we've enjoyed, Graham, I think you talked about Emily Van Egmond yesterday and how she's done a lot of good running, a lot of good work, a lot of good hold-up play. And it seems like maybe she would be the one to be sacrificed if Sam Kerr comes back. And we've seen this in many different matches uh, in football history. When you bring back that star player, 
it, it can elevate the performance, but it can also be then like, Sam Kerr's here, just get the ball to her. And I could see that becoming a negative in Australia's performance. I could also see her scoring a brace. So who knows? But I think the uh, performance or involvement of Sam Kerr will be the thing that I think yeah. can have a big impact on that game one way or the other. Uh, and the other side of the bracket, I am so excited for both of these games. I think Japan-Sweden is just going to be a very interesting clash of styles because uh, I would assume it's going to be Japan ball dominant with a lot yep. of possession, moving the ball quickly, lots of different passing triangles and trying to sort of play quickly out of pressure with with big switches out wide from the middle and then runs in behind or runs into the box. Maybe not behind because I think Sweden will be plenty defensive. Sweden, I'm going to guess, doing Sweden things, looking for set pieces, looking for crosses. So I think the way that one is sort of of poised from a one team will have lots of the ball. One team will be defending and, and playing their game. I think that's really interesting. And then Spain, Netherlands, I, I think is the game that I'm most excited about and probably most excited about in this entire tournament, because I, I think it's, it's, it could be a clash of styles. It could also be who does the possession thing better. My money would be on Spain in that one. So I, I think it could end up being the Dutch, Maybe chasing this game, my my specific prediction relates to Spain scoring, but I think it's going to be, my guess would be a dominant first half from Spain, and then the Netherlands having more of the ball in the second half, likely because they're chasing. But I think the the technical ability of both of these sides, the differing tactics we've seen from them, and then just the really strong possession-oriented approach from Spain, I think all of that makes for a really captivating game. I would be more excited for that match if Daniel van der Donk wasn't suspended. I feel like that's a huge blow to not just the Netherlands in terms of personnel, but also just the way that they play and their approach. I feel like if van der Donk is in in that midfield, they can almost go, if not toe-to-toe with Spain, because I think they would probably have more of the ball still, but in a technical sense, they could hold their own against Spain. And without van der Donk, I feel like they might be tempted to play the quicker more direct ball into Berenstein and get her running into the channels which which might work we've seen Spain exposed and um, their backline exposed and and certainly by Japan in the group stage I'm not saying that Netherlands are, are, are going to do that but yeah van der Donk is, is is a big blow with regards to the Japan Sweden game this is a genuine question I don't know the answer what do we think about Japan from set pieces because obviously that's such a strength of Sweden as we saw in that Italy game in the group stage is that a potential weakness for Japan if, if if Sweden get that right? I think so. I think that's the biggest thing that could sway the tide back into Sweden's favor. Japan have been the better team so far. They have generally faced more difficult opposition than, than Sweden, certainly in the group stage. And they have played some of the best soccer all the way around in this competition so far. But really, the way they've shined is an open play. In Sweden, it's the exact opposite. They haven't been especially good in open play but they are dangerous on set pieces. Now, the U.S. did a very good job of neutralizing their threat on set pieces to the point where they really weren't dangerous. But Japan haven't been tested in that way so far at this competition, and set pieces is not at all where they've shined. So yeah, Graham, I, I, I absolutely think that could be a, a difference maker in this game. That could be the way that Sweden come in and, and pull off this upset, and it would be an upset. I think we're all in that camp, given the, how well Japan have played so far. I think that would be the X factor for them in this game. Joe, I think you're... Concerns about Alyssa Nair and, and like how important she was going to be, I think, go doubly so for Yamashita. Nair in that game against Sweden, I thought that was her best performance. I thought she was she was pretty rock solid uh, when she came for set pieces, when she came for crosses, when she came for punches, and when she held in traffic. I think all of that was really excellent. What she I scored. Think Yama- 
Yamashita will also that uh, Yamashita will probably have to do a lot of that same or play at that same level uh, and be confident and win some of those crosses. And if she has any of those sort of flapping at it moments or misjudges one, that could be the difference maker. So I think set pieces will be uh, pretty interesting for sure. They will be indeed. If you look at the favourites, according to the bookmakers at the moment, England are favourites, Spain in second, Japan in third, France That's in weird, right? fourth. Do you think so? Well, Spain being above Japan when yeah. they got absolutely thumped by Japan in the group stage is I think, peculiar to me. I think the idea is Japan have the harder matchup against Sweden than Spain do against the Netherlands. At least that if the bookmakers are using the FIFA rankings at all. And, and to be honest, even if like they've watched these games, I think this is an unpopular opinion amongst the four of us. I'm still yet to be super impressed by the Dutch. I, I think they're more likely to get jack stomped by Have you been Spain. super impressed by Sweden, though? No, 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 I haven't. I haven't. But I, I think... I think the gap between Spain and the Netherlands is probably wider than it is from Japan to Sweden. Uh, I think the film reflects that to this point, and I, I think the the rankings would reflect that as well. So that that's just my two cents. So I feel like that that kind of who up. who from the Netherlands hurt you? <laughs> I have what this really. What they wearing? <laughs> I, I have a really like deep seated fear in swim caps, and so that yeah. it just it ruined it for me. Joe, so Joe, if we were to put like a windmill in the crowd at a live podcast no, show, would that you throw won't. you off? Is no, that your phobia? I'm, it'll throw okay. me out of the building. Is what there it's we go. Do. I'm out. There of we go. I'm done. Now so, I understand. I, I do disagree with you a little bit. I think the Dutch have been. Uh, like good in the ways they needed to be in the games where they needed to be good. I still think they were uh, the better overall team in that U.S. game. We don't need to relitigate that one. We I do know not. You don't no. agree. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I do think that they have been a, a very good, reliable, consistent team in this tournament. I think Graham is right, though. Van de Donk, Van de Swimcap not being involved downgrades them a good bit, a good bit. I would also like to know how many uh, Berenstein Bears references ryan will try to cram into that uh review but maybe we don't need to talk about that other than that i'm addressing it now in hopes that it prevents him from doing it down the line it won't done it, it did <laughs> not surprised anymore um <laughs> i i still I, I picked japan as the winner at the end of the knockouts uh, at the end of the group stage excuse me and i'm sticking with it um i can't quite just i think it's been england japan final and i think that could be that could go either way. That's my feelings on who's going to go the distance. Uh, Joe, if you got a pick for uh, you, uh, you famously love to give predictions on Total Soccer. Show. I do. Have you got it's a pick? It's for my winner? favorite thing ever. Uh, I think the winner will come from the Japan, Sweden, Netherlands, Spain side of the bracket, which is to say, I think it will be Spain or Japan. Um, although, again, Sweden could pull off something here on set pieces, and, and I'll look a bit silly. But I think it will come from that side. I kind of got the sinking feeling that it's going to be Spain, that it's going to be Spain versus Japan in that semifinal. Spain are going to come in and get revenge for that 4-0 loss, and they're just going to carry that momentum into the final and win it. So I will go with Spain, um, and that's that's my pick. Uh, I, I, I agree with Joe. I think it's going to be Spain-Japan. I, I think my feeling, I think France will make it to the final. The only thing I would say is that like, I don't know if Spain can really change that much. Like, it's not as though they can fully change their entire game plan and, and really disrupt what Japan were doing. Ball, ball. I, I think it's going to be more of the same. And so if Spain can execute better or maybe get a goal early, that changes things. Uh, but if they can't, I, I think it's going to be Japan, Japan, France. I have long thought Japan were the best team at this tournament. I think Japan will end up winning the whole thing. But I do have a final of Japan versus France. Okay. That's my final as well, which I know is slightly contradictory because I put the upset alert, alert on Australia-France, but I think if they get I through that confused. one, then France get to the final and potentially win it, actually. 
You just didn't want to say a certain team would go any further, did you, Graham? Just couldn't do it. Of course I couldn't. <laughs> you know me too well. Good for you. All right, long thing left to do on this episode. That is very specific predictions for the quarterfinals. Taylor Rockwell, mm-hmm. where have you landed your prediction wand? That sounded weird. Spain versus the Dutch is where I shall go. Uh, I think I wanted to do something with XG, but I still haven't found, or I don't think anyone has found a really good way to have like reliable reports on XG by half. Uh, I hope listeners can immediately correct me on that one. So instead, I will say I think Spain will get one goal from sustained possession and then another goal from, if not a counterattack, then much more obviously direct play. So maybe one goal is like a 10 to 15 pass sequence where they pull open the Dutch and score. Another one would be maybe 10 to 15 seconds uh, they transition into attack and score because I think they will go up. I think the Dutch will then be in the second half trying to make something happen, trying to push for an equalizer, and I could see them being caught out, caught too open, and punished accordingly by Spain. So uh, that would be where my prediction comes from, and I hope it comes correct, even if I wouldn't mind if the Dutch ended up getting past Spain. Taylor, it's so woolly. It's so woolly. The parameters... 10 to 15 passes, 10 to 15 something, maybe this, maybe that. I like, that, I like that. that now that I've taken issue with one of yours, you're just going to dispute every single one of mine. I think saying that Spain will score two goals, one from sustained possession, one from a direct attack, is fairly specific. Taylor was lobbying pretty hard in the Discord, is all I'm saying, for his VSP yesterday. <laughs> well, for his can was... be whatever you want it to be VSP, mm. I might say. How the turntables. Exactly. Uh, all, all I hear is uh, fear from you two. I, I, I hear anxiety that maybe this race is closer than you all wanted it to be. Uh, and I feel like now maybe we're getting some like maybe votes shouldn't be counted. Maybe stop the count is what I'm hearing from you two. I, I don't know how I feel about that one. I think democracy should reign supreme. I'm sorry that you feel differently otherwise. Oh, boy, that was quite a spin. Uh, anyway, so... Ta- <laughs> What's monarchist? I can't hear you over the sound of you having a monarchy. Hmm? Taylor's predicted the Spain will score some goals. Graham, what have you said? <laughs> so, I am also looking at the Spain-Netherlands match, and my VSP here is that Irene Paredes will complete more than double the passes of any Netherlands player. We all know that Spain like to have the ball, but then so do the Netherlands. Of the teams left in this World Cup, the Dutch have had the fourth highest average share of uh, of possession if we look at the tournament as a whole they're fifth in that in that list i think germany were the, are the only team that's gone out that are above them in that list but as i've already referenced van der Swimcap is suspended i think they'll go a bit more direct in this match they'll look for bernstein's runs in behind and spain will be able to push up very high and i think they will have lots of the ball frankly in this match they won't just have the greater share i can see even 70 percent, frankly from spain in this game so i think paredes will be an indicator of this, a central defender, I think she'll be very, very high. She'll have lots of the ball and she will complete more than double the passes of any Dutch mm. player. Captivating and empirical. Classic VSP and Graham. Thank you very much. Uh, Joe Lowry. That feels Taylor, like such a, such a direct shot. At Taylor. I, just, I, I love that Ryan was like, I don't know, 10 to 15 seconds feels very vague. Like in a 90 minute game, me saying they'll score at a 10 to 15 second tack. I, I don't know. I feel like that's pretty specific. And I feel like Graham saying a player who completes a lot of passes is going to complete a lot of passes is also real bold, real, real bold from our, our Scotsman. I, have, I need to get points on the board here. This is getting fierce. This is getting fierce. Yeah. Listen, you can see that the pressure at the VSP table is not getting to anybody here. That is for sure. Certainly not me. Joe, where have you gone? 
I have I have recused myself from the VSP uh, litigation table because <laughs> I uh, I can't imagine how much the listeners are enjoying hearing us bicker about this over and over and over again. I'm guessing disagree, everybody's Joe. loving it, enjoying it a lot, and I think I, we should debate it right now. I hope that's true, Taylor. I really do um, because they've gotten a lot of it over the last few weeks. My VSP for this next set of games is for Spain, Netherlands as well. It's it's the most fun game, or it's set up to be. My VSP kind of goes opposite of a lot of what Graham said, and I'll I'll try to explain why. So my VSP is that Spain will have 250 touches or fewer in the attacking third against the Netherlands. They're averaging over 300 right now across their first four games of this tournament. Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, Betting against Spain having the ball is not very wide, 99% of the time. But here's how I'm imagining this game. Let me take you all inside my mind. I think Spain are going to have the ball. I think they're going to score early in this game because I think Spain are are good and the Netherlands are just kind of uh, fine to good, right? I think there's a gap there. That's my opinion. I think Spain are going to score early and the Dutch then will revert to their need to have the ball because they're going to be chasing the game. And I think at a certain point, they're going to have to start to wrestle control back away. So I think this I think this fits how the game is going to go. And Spain at a certain point are just going to pile on. So that's why I'm saying they're going to have at least 50, basically more than 50, fewer touches in the final third than they've had on average leading into this game, 250 or fewer. Okay. Okay. Taylor, do you, uh, you accepting the charges there? I do. I do. I agree Excellent. with Joe, with Joe, uh, in how this game will play out. I think it's really interesting though, because Graham seems to, seems to see it Otherwise, so I think that in and of itself will be an interesting thing to keep an eye on is our Spain completely ball dominant from start to finish. It honestly could go either way. If anybody knows how this game is going to play out there, they are lying for themselves. Graham's probably picked the safer bet here with Spain just completely dominating the ball, because even if they go ahead, it's the DNA of this team to then continue to possess and counter press. And so I am sort of putting a lot of stock in the Dutch uh, and their ability to sort of wrestle that control away. Um, I, it, this one could go in a lot of different directions. Yeah, I just can't really remember a game on the women's or men's side where Spain haven't had a ridiculous amount of possession, regardless of the opponent. Even in games they lose, they lose. That's the way it tends to go. So yeah, I think it'll happen again. All right, one more VSP to do that is mine. A lot riding on the Spain-Netherlands game for these very specific predictions. I've actually gone for the England-Colombia game. I'm saying that Kira Walsh will win five or more tackles in this game. This is the key to breaking up play for England. Only won three tackles against Nigeria, but won significantly more. Won 10 against Haiti. Obviously, a bit of a talent gap there. But I think Colombia in 4-2-3-1 will try and go a bit through the middle with Uzme and, and maybe Ramirez going through the middle. An attacking team that's going to try and break through there. Uh, Jamaica won 29 tackles against them in total. So I think it's pretty fair to say that Kira Walsh is going to have the Lioness's share of uh, tackles breaking up play in the middle there. Five or more tackles for Kira Walsh. Let's hope she plays the 90. Credit for the wordplay. That was good. Graham's right. That That was nice. Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for World Cup Daily. And Joe Lowry, a pleasure having you here as always. Right back at you, Ryan. Oh, Taylor Rockwell. Thank you very much, my good man. It was fine. (laughs) and graham thank you very much for joining us thank you ryan bailey listener thank you the mostest you're the bestest we'll be back on the feed very shortly with more women's world cup and much more but for now bye